Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Mr. Darcy's first proposal. We are so excited to welcome our guest for this episode, Meredith Ammons. Meredith is a graphic designer, illustrator, social media manager, and founder of Meredith Taylor Graphics. In addition to her professional work, Meredith has a strong interest in fan culture with a particular focus on the fandoms and fan culture pertaining to book talk, members of One Direction, Broadway, and RuPaul's Drag Race. Meredith is also an enthusiastic member of the Jane Austen fandom. She shares her love of Austen through her work with UNC Chapel Hill's Jane Austen Summer Program as both a writer and social media coordinator. She also has a lot of feelings about Darcy's first proposal, which makes her the perfect guest for today's episode. Welcome, Meredith. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to be here. Welcome. It's so good to have you. So let's get into the scene of the first proposal. We're about halfway through Pride and Prejudice. Lizzie is visiting Charlotte, and while at Rosings Park, she has had multiple encounters with Darcy and his cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam. The colonel has just recently unwittingly revealed that Darcy is responsible for the separation between Bingley and Jane. And Lizzie is extremely upset by this. So she purposely chooses to stay behind at the parsonage that evening so that she doesn't have to be around Darcy. But fate has other plans for her evening. So this is from the text. To her utter amazement, she saw Mr. Darcy walk into the room. In a hurried manner, he immediately began an inquiry after her health, imputing his visit to a wish of hearing that she were better. She answered him with cold civility. He sat down for a few moments and then, getting up, walked about the room. Elizabeth was surprised, but said not a word. After a silence of several minutes, he came towards her in an agitated manner and thus began. In vain I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression. What a moment. What I love, I love that it's just like, it's so iconic. And then I think we often forget that little extra that Austen's narrator gives us. Elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression. Mm-hmm. Like, was not expecting that even a teeny little bit. Not in the slightest. She's like, this is not computing. To get us all started, I feel like we just need to start with sort of initial reactions to the scene, especially if anybody can remember their first time reading this and just, what did you think? Pride and Prejudice is a pretty hard book to not have spoilers for. So I'm just curious, like, Meredith, let's start with you. Yes, I was very lucky. I read Pride and Prejudice for the first time when I was in college. I was one of those kids who never read it in high school. It was never assigned reading. So I really had a clean slate when it came to reading Jane Austen. I had only seen Sense and Sensibility before as a play, so never read the book. And so when I read Pride and Prejudice, I knew nothing about what was going on in this book. So I really had a fresh perspective 
about this scene. I remember when I read this for the first time, I didn't, I thought she was going to have to marry Collins because I was like, what is going on? Where is this book going? I had no idea. <laughs> so when it came to this scene, I was just like, who is this annoying guy who keeps just coming into her life? I was absolutely flabbergasted when this happened because I had, just like Lizzie, I had no idea this was going to happen. I had no idea this was, proposal was going to happen. And I felt the same way Lizzie did. I was like, you're coming in here after doing all this to my sister, only saying bad things about me and my family. What are you, what are you doing? And being so confident about it? No, what are you doing? I was very much a Lizzie in this situation. The entire setup, the fact that you know that she's already in this state where she's so angry at him, and then he shows up, and that initial line is so good, right? my feelings will not be repressed. He starts out so strong. I love that Austin doesn't actually give us, we get the really great, you know, the swooniness of the, you must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. And that's a direct quote. And then the rest we just get, it's just kind of listed as his sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation. And so you're just kind of like really left to imagine, wow, was he just going on and on for like 10 minutes? He's just digging himself his own grave at this point, and he thinks he's doing such a good job. The hole is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, and and one of the things that I do love about the fact that we don't get the rest of the proposal is that, I mean, this is this is often something that happens also in film and things like that, where it's like, if you don't actually share the details of how bad it is, it allows you as a as a reader, as someone who's taking this in, you get to fill in the blanks in the ways that are going to make this obviously go in a lot of different directions if you want. But also the fact that we know, like the talking points are that he's insulting her family. He's insulting, he's like just the fact that we're left to imagine it. I love that we get to fill in those blanks. I love that about the way this is set up. Well, and especially the way that it's written in terms of how it's conveyed. The narrator tells us that everything he said, it was dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. This isn't a cursory glance. He's going for it. He's going into each detail. He's like, I don't like this about you. I don't like this about you. And she just has to sit there because he just keeps going and going. And she's just like, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. I'm just going to just sit here and just like take it. And then I'm going to come back with what I'm going to say after as a rebuttal at this point. She's just like, just let him keep digging. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Like when you're done, I will respond. I imagine in my head as he's just been practicing this forever and ever. He practices in the mirror. He practices (laughs) on the way over because he starts so strong. And then he's like, "Mm, I'm losing all of my notes. He delivers the first lines perfectly. And then he drops all his note cards and he's like, I've, I can still do this. And, and he can't. Well, and I think one of the things that's really fascinating about this is it's the timing, right? We're talking yes. about, you know, we, we talk about Lizzie's state of mind at the beginning of this episode. We're talking about like she's purposely stayed home so that she does not have to see this dude. So we have to talk about the fact that, you know, she is already seething at Darcy since she's just learned about how he separated Jane and Bingley. And She's actually not just staying home to avoid him. She's actually staying home and rereading Jane's letters and getting more and more wound up. And then he knocks on the door. 
she's like stayed at home to do a little bit of sleuthing. Like she's looking through Jane's letters, looking for clues about, okay, is she actually way more unhappy than she claims she's mm-hmm. been? She's looking for reasons to be even more irritated with it. Yes. She's just like, you already said I was not handsome enough to tempt him. And just like showing up wherever I go, I'm trying to get away from him. And then he does this one thing that's just the worst thing he could possibly do. So I'm going to get even angrier at him. I'm just going to get super angry. And I would reread my old text messages for my sister (laughs) and look back on it and just keep making myself angrier. And then it's like, well, he shows up at the door. I'm going to tell him off. I mean, the timing for Darcy is horrible like it could not be worse could not be worse timing for him but the timing is also so critical to just making this entire scene work and then of course for driving for the narrative for the rest of the novel it is the absolute perfect storm of just creating conflict and like a small resolution and changing the whole plot for the rest of the book but i think i think it's so it's so fascinating too because these are two characters who feel like they've been relatively overt about the way they feel about each other. You know, like Lizzie is, she, in her head, it's fairly obvious that she's not doing anything to try to attract Darcy's attention. She's been pretty snarky with him. Like, like in her mind, she's been pretty direct about like, we're good. I don't, I don't need your attention. And in his mind, he's like, how could you have missed all of the times that I was trying to pay attention to you? How could you have missed all the times I was trying to flirt with you? All the times that I just happened to run into you when you were walking around Rosie? She's like, I told you I was going to be here. And he's like, yeah, I know you told me (laughs) you were going to be here. It's such a situation where they both think they're in the right. And it reminds me a lot of Emma and Mr. Knightley having their conversations about Harriet and Robert Martin, where she's like, I'm right, but I'm also right, and I'm also right. It's one of those conversations. That it's just Damn perfect. But I think, I think also that, I mean, Meredith, you're so right in terms of, you know, with, with Emma and Knightley, they're both coming at it with, with these kinds of intentions and things like that. With Lizzie and Darcy, there's something about the fact that they're actually both very, very right. You know, with with Emma and yes. Knightley, Emma, Emma is actually often a little bit in the wrong. Good intentions, but like a little bit in the wrong. Whereas with the information that Lizzie has, she is in the right. With the information that Darcy has, he's not necessarily wrong. He's definitely not doing himself any favors by explaining that. But the social conventions that would have been an, an impediment are real. He's not he's not saying something that's not like he's not making it up. He's not saying anything about her mom or her sisters that she hasn't thought herself in her own head. Absolutely. It's like, how dare you point out those things I already know are true? I just I love the combination we get from him here because he is obviously way too confident. Yes. And Lizzie picks up on that and she's like, excuse you? Uh Uh-huh. So he is like way too confident, but he's also built up repressed emotion and so it's just like bursting out which again you know we get that really great initial line and then we get the cascade of all the horrible things that he should not have said the combination there of i'm both really confident that you're definitely going to say yes i mean of course like who would reject darcy of pemberley but also oh my gosh i love you so much i I can't even keep it in any longer yes and that's what jane austen does so well it's going to be a perfect proposal. She's going to say yes, and that's just how it's going to go. But in fact, it goes absolutely 
the worst way it could possibly go, except for the very beginning line, which he really comes in strong and then just goes downhill. And that line, I love that you were pointing this out, Diane. There's that there's that part where Austin writes, he spoke of apprehension and anxiety, but his countenance expressed real security. And then such a circumstance could only exasperate further. She's like, are you done? Because this is so, so bad for him. It goes so badly for him. And Elizabeth does essentially just unload on him. There is something about this failed proposal that actually is crucial to our understanding of Austen, but also it sets up the entire second half of the novel. I think that's why this proposal, as badly as it goes, is such a touch point for the novel. You have to have this moment. You have to have the moment where Lizzie is like, oh, you want to go there? We are going to go there. And it sets up the rest of the novel. Yes, 100%. I mean, it's the point in the novel because they've had all this pent up feelings towards each other in certain ways. Like Lizzie's just like, this man is doing so many things to mess up my life. And Darcy has all this built up love for Lizzie that she doesn't know about. And so it's the point where they actually get to discuss it without any external forces. Like they're not in a dance. They're not filtering. They don't have to, they don't have to follow the conventions of society. So they're allowed to just let loose and just go at it. And so they really allows them to get out all their anger so we can really get on with the novel and kind of set up where we're going. And I think it's a really important point for Darcy to look at himself and be like, hey, I was maybe coming on too strong. Maybe I did do a few things wrong. And he goes to the rest of the novel and fixes what needs to be fixed. And I think that's why it's such an important scene. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Because she goes point by point with him. She's like, okay, you've screwed up my sister's life. Let's explain that for a second. Let me just tell you why that is something I can't get over. And then she's like, okay, and this is how I understand the situation with Wickham. This is, according to this information, that's awful. You're a horrible human being if this is what's happening. You know, and she she's able to, again, kind of like Meredith, you so, so aptly said, this kind of stripping off the veneer of this is what we're expected to do. Um, I love that right after this, you know, she's like, okay, I'm not going to accept your proposal. And then he's like, um, there was so little attempt at civility. She's like, Civility. All right. Okay. We're taking off the glove. You want civility? I'm not going to give you that, but I'm going to give you what you deserve. Yeah. And, and by taking him point by point, it's a really important moment. Well, and even her initial reaction is that she could not be insensible to the compliment of such a man's affection. And though her intentions did not vary for an instant, she was at first sorry for the pain he was to receive till aroused to resent it by his subsequent language. It's like, okay, <laughs> I was never going to say yes to you, but I was going to be nice, but now I'm not going to. Yeah. And I think if it had just ended even in their kind of discussion about Wickham and him, Darcy being really contemptuous about her interest in Wickham and all of that, if he had just walked out of the room at that point, you know, who, who knows what might have happened. But the fact that she says to him, you are mistaken, Mr. Darcy, if you suppose that the mode of your declaration affected me in any other way than as it spared me the concern, which I might have felt in refusing you, had you behaved in a more gentleman-like manner, and the narrator, you know, lets us know, she saw him start at this. So he's kind of like, oh, yeah, she just really called me out there. 
and then to say, you could not have made me the offer of your hand in any possible way that would have tempted me to accept it. I mean, can we also just give Elizabeth Bennett the award for the person who is most capable of saying in the moment all the things that most of us would think of like the next day after an argument? Yes. And I think it it just also shows how much emotional trust they have with each other because she wasn't having this conversation with Collins. It's a very complex relationship at this point to see. You're right. It's so raw. I think that that's why it's such a an impactful scene is that they're both very raw in this moment. Lizzie, completely authentic to her emotions and where she's at. Darcy, completely shocked out of his complacency in this moment. And I think that that's why, again, you know, he's able to take this scene and be like, okay, I might have some things I need to work on. But then he is also able to, you know, because he is the opposite of Lizzie being able to deliver the lines that she meant to say in the moment. He actually does have to go back back to Rosings and like write a letter. He's me the next day in the yeah. shower washing his hair and yes. going, oh, and I should have said this. I should have said, said this. But kudos to him because he does take the time to be like, okay, I needed some distance, but there are some things you do need to know. Not just because I need to feel vindicated, but because you're allowing Wickham into your world in a way that you might need to be warned about. I think, again, for him to be able to step back and give that letter to her in a spirit of, again, wounded pride is absolutely a factor, but in a sense of a way that's like, okay, you do need to know this information, not purely from a place of vindication. That's a fairly mature response. And I think that that is, again, why Lizzie is immediately able to start rehabilitating her opinion of Darcy so that when they do, again, meet at Pemberley, that encounter can go completely differently than it would have otherwise. And also, hes it's so different from Wickham because he's writing it down. He's putting it in writing. She has proof. And he trusts her enough to not share that with anybody because he knows it'll affect his sister. And being so vulnerable that like this can ruin his yeah. sister's reputation. And he trusts her with that. Yeah. It is a real act of vulnerability and trust on his part. He obviously still has faith in the fact that she would not go around spreading gossip. He still really values and respects her integrity enough to to tell her that, even though she's been like, I don't ever want to see your face again. <laughs> or so you think. Just wait, Elizabeth <laughs> Bennett. Yes. Oh, that's what makes it so good. He was so emotionally vulnerable with her and decides to change because it's like, he didn't have to, but he took the time. He took in what she said. And he fixed himself for the better and then helped her with the problems that he kind of created by not being more forward at the beginning. And I think that's just why he has such a saying power. Again, I think it's there's a reason why, even though this is a failed proposal scene, that particularly that first line, because it is really good, right? Before he starts saying all the horrible stuff, saying, you must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you, like, Oh, yes, please. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Sure. Sure. Please continue. Go on. <laughs> I mean, it's so classic and it's just something that's just so latched onto. It's so perfect. And then after that, it's like, ooh, buddy, I think you messed up a little bit, but started off real strong. You, you tried. The first couple lines are very, very good. And there's a reason why they put it on so many tote bags and, and teacups, et cetera. Yes. Also, just so interesting. It's just like when we talk about this, 
I think of the adaptations in my head, like how that's portrayed in a lot of ways and how so it's so differently portrayed in things like the 95, where it's just so very off the page. It's very, he's very confident, but he's stumbling on his words, but he's very confident about it going through and it's very much as it's written. Well, by the time we get to 2005, it's like a whole rain scene and they're actually screaming at each other. There's no hint of civility from Lizzie whatsoever. And it just creates such a different situation with the same exact book, but interpreting in different ways. And then by the time we get to Pride and Prejudice with zombies, they're having a full-on fight with like a po- like a fire poker and they're having <laughs> full-on combat while having this conversation. We got to keep ramping it up like a little bit more, yes. a little bit more. yes. The roundhouse kick to the face is like a very memorable moment from that proposal. Yes. And I I think PPZ proposal scene should get a lot more play than it does, honestly. <laughs> yes, honestly. Yes. It's it's just what Jane Austen would have wanted is like a full-on <laughs> <laughs> martial arts fight. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us to chat about Darcy's first proposal the infamous proposal scene (laughs) thank you so much for having me where can our listeners find you online and learn more about your work and can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about the jane austen summer program yes so i am predominantly on tiktok i am at merely marathon tiktok there's a lot of fangirl content jane austen harry styles the gamut it's on there i also have an instagram which is meredith t ammons and I also have a website, which is MeredithAmmons.com. I put a lot of my writing up on there. And then for the Jane Austen Summer Program, I write on there too for their blog. And they have their program coming up and it starts June 15th through the 18th. And it's all about Jane Austen's juvenilia. So all of her early writing works. So that's going to be a lot of fun this summer. And yeah, that's what I have going on with me. Perfect. Thank you again for coming on for this episode. Oh, of course. Anytime. And thank you for bringing up Pride and Prejudice and Zombies because that was important to yes, me. Yes, yes, yes. It's very important. <laughs> I can I can talk about Jane Austen adaptations all day long from Lizzie Bennet Diaries to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Thank you to Meredith Ammons for joining us for today's discussion. You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next episode where we will be talking about hyacinths. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.